Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stefan Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. All right, Annie, I have a question for you. And even though I already know the answer, I feel like because I know you so well, I already know the answers. <laughs> but did you ever have any interest in any of the true crime stories growing up? Or even now? No. And in fact, I have <laughs> never seen a single episode of Law & Order of any of, I know, multitudes of Law & Order shows. Okay. I did watch, because of my brother, and we only had the one TV, so, you know, you had to deal with <laughs> whatever's choice. I did watch Fair. Rescue 911, but that didn't necessarily have... I just mostly remember that kid got stuck in the escalator, and then I was afraid of escalators after that. Oh, yeah. Was that the Crocs one? Well, he had like a, it was his jacket or like his shoelace. Something got stuck in the escalator. I think it's like a shoelace. I know there's a croc one too where they got sucked in and it killed the kid. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Well, that stuck with me. The kid in this, he survived. I will say in light of what we're talking about today, I would go through these like really morbid periods where I would research serial killers or like what, like just look into their biographies and then I just mm-hmm. regret that I ever had. But I, right. I, would, I would do that. So I'm pretty familiar with most of the big serial killers, at least in the United States. Yeah. So obviously, we're going to be talking a little bit about this subject. And before we start on what is a very fascinating but really disturbing topic, I want to put a quick trigger warning. We will be mentioning rape, assault, and stalking within this episode. We're not going to get too in-depth of any of the graphic situations or um, any of the actual cases, more so around it. But yeah, we're definitely talking about murderers and violent criminals uh, in this episode and actually the people who love them. Right. Um, so, yeah, if you're listening to this when it comes out and you happen to celebrate Valentine's Day, we are not there for you, I guess. Our, you know, <laughs> we're giving you an alternative <laughs> entertainment there. choice. This is your anti-Valentine's. Here you go. Yeah, so we're talking today about women who love serial killers and I guess killers at large. And we're not necessarily talking about people who were with killers and then found out later. We're talking about people who know what they did about the atrocities and fall in love despite that, because of that, with these different people. And this episode came to mind because I will admit I'm very interested in true crime. Uh, And as we know, Netflix actually has been producing a lot of true crime content and have been for several years now, including some of the newer ones like The Night Stalker, which follows the case of serial killer Richard Ramirez. And just to put it out there, if you're interested in any of these types of shows, this one is pretty graphic and has been accused of glorifying the violence and bringing on victims for shock value. So definitely just watch out. But one thing that did catch a lot of people's attention, and I believe became a pretty popular meme, uh, was the reaction of one of the witnesses they spoke to when they were asking her about the women who were trying to connect with Ramirez and trying to get his attention or even date him. And her response was, quote, I'm sorry, but they're the dumbest bitches ever. And though it's been talked about, I started to wonder, why do some women and others go as far as even marrying some of these horrible men? Right. And as we should have expected, there are terms for people who are attracted to serial killers or people who commit horrific crimes. So let's start with the terms and definitions. First, there's high bristophilia, which means a paraphilia, quote, in which a person is sexual erotically attracted to a person who has committed an outrage or a gruesome crime 
are, to put it plainly, when someone is sexually attracted to terrifying criminals and specifically for our episode, killers. And within this paraphilia, there is a further breakdown of two types, passive and aggressive. Right, so the passive hybristophilia are exactly what they sound like. Passive and not necessarily about committing any crimes or being involved in crimes, but are part of the SKGs or serial killer groupies. And they're likely to try to make excuses or justify the crimes that were committed. And they're the ones who feel like they can change these bad people or bad boys. And most likely places themselves to be manipulated and seduced by the killers. Uh, And they are the admirers that are sending fan mail and try to become pen pals with criminals. And it should also be noted here, the majority of people who are, I guess, categorized with hybristophilia are women. And it is usually only known, openly known, in regards to women, especially those 30 to 40 years old. So what we're talking about specifically is, again, geared towards women. And that's why we're, we're going to be mainly talking about women throughout this episode. Right. So then there's aggressive hybristophilia, which is the opposite of passive. Um, They're willing to assist their loves, whether it's to trick someone, cover up for them, or even commit the crimes themselves. It's the violence that attracts them, and they are trying to earn their love at the same time. Right. And this is also known as the Bonnie and Clyde syndrome. Essentially, this is the same thing as hybristophilia, just not as scientific sounding. It's named after the famous criminal duo, Bonnie Elizabeth Parker and Clyde Chestnut Barrow. And just in case you didn't know what happened to this couple, this is the famous duo that went across country on a crime spree, killing law enforcement and robbing Minia banks. They had their own gang. I believe the Barrow Bank Robbers is what they were called. And Bonnie, by the way, supposedly never pulled a trigger, so she never technically killed anyone, but was very attracted to Clyde because of his bad boy image. She had been married, actually she was married to someone else at the time she and Clyde were together. He Mm. was in jail, her husband, at the time she was killed with Clyde. So that's kind of why it's known as the Bonnie and Clyde syndrome. And um, apparently was a really good student and a great poet, and you can find her poems out there. Really interesting. Again, they were killed in an ambush by a posse of law enforcement. And with the help of the 1967 film starring Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway, the couple's fame kind of was revived. Even though they were already famous, it kind of had this whole romanticized portrayal of them. So they became a little more famous and a little more popular at that point in time. Right. And then, yes, uh, serial killer groupies. Again, this is a slang or kitschy nickname for hybristophilia, but for this context, we see it used as if the serial killers have the same appeal as rock stars, deeming the admirers, who, yes, are often female, as groupies, hoping to just meet them or to have a chance to really know them, and hopefully that they will want to get to know them and connect on a deeper level, also known as prison groupies. Right. So this is also a lesser form in the same level of the passive version of hybristophilia. They're not going to do anything excessive, but they are really excited to get to know, get to meet, and probably dedicate a part of their lives to these different high-profile criminals. Mm-hmm. Just for there. So, moving on. Let's talk about the types of killers. We're not going into a lot of detail of specific cases, but always we like to make sure you know what we know. And just a quick review over some of the types of killers, because they all have the fans that we may be mentioning. And the first one, of course, is the serial killer. I guess we should probably 
I mean, we're going to go back to basics on this one and, and define that the serial killers, according to dictionary.com, is, quote, a person who commits a series of murders, often with no apparent motive, and typically following a characteristic or predictable behavior pattern. Or as the American Psychological Association defines it as, quote, an individual who repeatedly commits murder, typically with a distinct pattern in the selection of victims, location, and method. Yeah, and I believe, like, the FBI definition has been revised several times. Right. Um, so. I know it started with multi-murder and then it kind of just went down a whole different track. Yeah, there was like a time period and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, there's a little up for grabs there, but in general. Then there's family annihilator. This term is often used interchangeably with familicide, which means, quote, the killing of multiple family members, typically the partner and at least one child. And according to a UK research paper, they identified four types of people who fall under this category. Self-righteous, disappointed, anomic or unstable, and paranoid. Right. And then we're also going to talk about Proxy murderer. Here we're talking about a specific case, which is the case of Charles Manson. Since he never technically killed anyone, he could not really be classified as a serial killer or um, just a mass murderer. Though obviously there's no doubt he's the reason for the murders that were committed by his followers. It's still incorrect to put him in that category. So proxy murder is defined as, quote, a murder in which the murderer does so at the behest of another acting as a proxy. Yes, and speaking of mass murderers, mass murderers are people who, quote, kill four or more people in a single incident, not including themselves, typically in a single location. School shootings are an example of mass murders. All right, so now that we've laid (laughs) out the groundwork, let's talk about what's going on with women who are attracted to these killers. But first, we're going to pause for a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Thank you, sponsor. Okay, so let's get into what is appealing about these killers for some women. One reason may be the romanticized misrepresentation of these killers. As we talked about at the beginning of this episode, there have been many documentaries and movies that have been released based on a lot of these killers. There are shows dedicated to murder cases and specific killers all around the world. I'm not going to lie. I'm definitely watched my fair share of Criminal Minds. I don't know... It's not just me, because it's quite popular. As in (laughs) fact, that show has been around since 2005 and ended only last year. And it's still considered one of the most popular contemporary shows out there. And though the show doesn't necessarily try to romanticize or glamorize the different killers or killings, the success of the shows, like Criminal Minds, does speak to the overall fascination that people have about killers and the crimes they commit. But what makes the fans or hybristophiles different is their desire and attraction to them. And when we look at shows like You or movies like the Ted Bundy movie starring Zac Efron, it becomes more romanticized for some of the viewers and starts to become more of a fantasy and an attraction to the story themselves. As Karen Kilgariff and Georgia Hardstack have stated in their podcast, My Favorite Murder, it's not the murder, but the obsession of the stories that catches their attention. And by the way, I have a lot of friends that love that show. And it's really funny to me because they'll be telling me all these things. <laughs> and almost always <laughs> is, I heard on my favorite murder. And I'm like, uh-huh. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> it's popular. And we just recently talked about the appeal of romance novels. And some experts believe it's the more extreme forms of romantic novels, like the bodice ripping genres that may influence some of these fantasies of these killers. Of course, we are talking the more or most extreme versions, but it does connect with the appeal of the bad boy dominant male who is misogynistic, 
fruits that change for the one that they love, the old, he's really tender and loving with loving me trope. And here it could be misconstrued that these killers are the most extreme, over-publicized, real versions of these fantasy characters. And though we aren't going to delve into it, there is fan fiction, like under the true crime community, which in my experience, which is very, very limited, very limited. (laughs) I won't say it's necessarily romanticizing it, but the mere fact that it exists and also I'm sure there are underground places that probably have a lot more um, stories like this is telling. And then there are erotic blogs in regards to the fantasized ideas of who these killers are and those won't be going away anytime soon. Right. And then going on to a different reason, maybe, is the good old savior complex. And we've talked about this a lot with toxic relationships or even abusive relationships, but this is to another level. Um, We're talking about women finding the ultimate project as a chance for some women to be the ones to reveal the killer's, quote, true self, as in the man behind the monster kind of idea. And the idea behind this is that the individual could be the one to rescue or save these killers. As in fact, their need to save or help them can be a spillover from their own lives. Perhaps they're social workers or nurses in some kind of field or profession that also allows them to have this purpose in their work lives and daily lives. But of course, this is not to say that women who are attracted to these dangerous killers are all nurses or social workers. I'm not one of those. I'm just saying (laughs) that they definitely had some correlations as in fact, like, Some of the people who were attached to them, one was a defense attorney who came in as uh, wanting to protect and find their innocence and protect their life. Some of them may have been like editors trying to do a good change in like their personal stories, get that sympathy. So it definitely has that kind of level of, I'm going to help you, I'm going to save you. Yeah, and I mean, it's worth mentioning too that not all all serial killers, but but a lot of killers are, are charismatic. And charming. Oh, very manipulative, yes. Yes. And the savior complex could go hand in hand with some of these women um, wanting to nurture or protect the killers, yes. So, for example, the Columbine shooters definitely have a fan group. And a majority of them believe the story that they were the actual victims of bullying and being misunderstood. There are many dedicated sites to defending them and their actions. The Parkland shooter was also placed on the same pedestal and was sent fan mail and even gifts. His public defender even stated, in my 40 years as a public defender, I've never seen this many letters to a defendant. End quote. The letters shake me up because they are written by regular, everyday teenage girls from across the nation. That scares me. It's perverted. Many of the letters contain notes of caring and concern. Uh, many of the young girls want to let them know that if they need anything or just wanted to talk, that they were available. And for many, they form an attachment in hopes to be that listening ear, that woman who can nurture and help them grow or become better people. Yeah, it was pretty disturbing, some of the uh, samples of the letters that were sent. Yeah. There are also those who seek to comfort the killers who have been known to have trauma in their childhood, which they have made excuses as to this is why they commit these crimes. We all know that many of the killers had histories of abuse or neglect and that this is the appeal for some of the women. They want to nurture and protect the boy inside or to protect the boy that was in hopes that they can turn the killers around to bring them past the trauma. Dr. Catherine Ramsland, who has written many books concerning serial killers and killers and is a professor of forensic psychology and criminal justice, states Many see these killers as, quote, the boy he once was and seek to mother him. And that for many of the SKGs or the serial killer groupies can, quote, change the man and convert him into a better person. Also of note is the possibility of past trauma or abuse that leads to seeking another power figure. 
one blog that was specific to talk about their own abuse and the retaking of power and the loss of power and fantasizing about sexual violence committed by criminals. Um, and this is a very specific type of reasoning and fantasizing about depraved killers. But some experts take a more specific look at the women whose insecurities and past history can make them vulnerable to the manipulative tactics of some of these terrifying killers like Charles Manson or Ted Bundy. And with that, some experts say that the women may have trauma and or abuse in their own lives, which can lead to an insecurity of finding a morbid attraction and fascination in these men, especially those who have a history of abuse or violence towards women. Though it could be seen in the scope of grooming or being groomed in the past or manipulation, it is that need to continue that pattern in their lives. A survivor's essay talks about her infatuation and fantasizing of these types of violent encounters with men like Ted Bundy and describes the breakdown of using that trauma violence to see herself as a thing rather than a being who got hurt. It's definitely a complex issue that is not dug into too deeply. Right. A lot of the accounts that I was looking at were personal statements without actual therapeutic backgrounds or people talking about that breakdown. But it was interesting to see because there is, as we have talked about when we talked about writing out on sex or like the literature and fiction of sex, the complications for a trauma victim or a survivor and what does that look like? And this goes one step further when they actually place themselves into a fantasy of a real abuser or a killer in this instance. So it was really interesting to see, but not correlated. So I would love to see more about that. I say love very loosely. <laughs> There's also those that, that believe that the killers are innocent. The many women who end up having a relationship or actually marrying some of these men either truly believe that the men were innocent or try to prove that they were innocent, whether it's through mere, and I will say extreme, denial or being manipulated by the killers themselves. Women would go to trials. They would try to appeal to TV or even go as far as trying to reopen cases by doing their own investigations in order to defend the killers. A couple of examples we have are Rosalie Martinez, who was on the defense team for killer Oscar Bolin, who was convicted of killing three different women in Florida. As a show of, of her belief in Bolin's innocence, she left her then-lawyer husband to marry Bolin, and they remained married until his execution in 2016. And then many women, including wives and girlfriends of Richard Ramirez and Charles Manson, clung to the fact that they were not being fairly represented by the media or even law enforcement. Richard Ramirez's wife stated he was one of the kindest people, and a Charles Manson fan say that he was an earth warrior fighting for Mother Earth. So there was definitely a lot of excuses out there. Right. And some experts say that some of these women are looking for their own notoriety or fame, which, uh, of course, not surprising. They were those who flocked to these men because of the fame and notoriety attached to these men's names. Many experts believe that some of the women enjoyed having their names attached to such infamous killers. Of course, these women would be more classified as groupies over hyperstophilia, as sexual arousal is a prime proponent for this type of paraphilia. Experts would talk about the women who were just trying to get magazine covers and or stories and or movie deals, mm -hmm. even to the fact that Charles Manson's last girlfriend, who was, I think, believe 17, 19-year-olds at the time, was trying to get the rights to his body so she could uh, use this and make money off of it. So there's mm. definitely a lot of conversation of that and most likely pointed towards that about why they're interested in these men rather than actual love or hybristophilia. Right. And some have attributed it to the extreme forms of fantasism, which is kind of this whole thing. In these instances, we witness the women who are seeking relationships in their own terms at a safe distance. So not only are they trying to find this fantasy, this fantasy goes to a point that at least it's safe. 
Like this is the safest way they can do it. With many of the killers not being accessible, women may cling to the idea of having that quote perfect boyfriend who's not out cheating and doing God knows what, which we know was bad, but are sitting safely locked away and will most likely remain there. The women can control physically more than emotionally the aspects of that relationship. I like get that in terms of I understand on paper, but it's so weird to hear serial killers in like safe relationships. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's weird for sure. <laughs> Author Sheila Eisenberg noted that during her research for women who love men who kill, many of the women she interviewed came from abusive childhoods and had lived through their fair amount of trauma, as we said earlier, and thought that perhaps for these women, they were interested in these men as, quote, someone who couldn't hurt them. They could be courted, loved, uh, and be shown intimacy without ever actually being around them to get hurt. Right. Um, And this makes them the perfect boyfriend. While women can believe that they are loved and wanted without breaking the fantasy with everyday issues in real relationships, there's no cleaning, there's no cooking, or even uh, physically looking after them to grow bitter towards. And the men dote on them with written words and sometimes a 10-minute visit. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Well, we are going to delve into even more, listeners. But first, we're going to pause for one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So what about the more aggressive hybristophilia? Were the women who followed Manson aggressive hybristophiles and... It's rare to see hybristophilia in men, but if they do, is it more likely to be aggressive than passive? Though technically Manson was not necessarily a murderer at this point, the love for him drove these women to murder for him. Why? So going back to that question, the answer of was this aggressive hybristophilia I mean, simply the answer is no. They did not necessarily participate because of Manson and their sexual need for him. The bigger counter-narrative that has finally started to circulate is the grooming, abusive environment created by Manson and using young, vulnerable women to do his bidding, including trading sexual favors for his needs, whether it was rent or other financial gains. Right. And as we've learned and as stories have unfolded, we have seen where they started to realize, oh, we were being manipulated. We didn't know why. We thought we were in love. They would take us out in the woods, talk to us for three hours, make us feel special and Mm -hmm. take us off the streets, essentially, because a lot of them were homeless young women. And this is the way he protected us. And this is how we gave back and that kind of Mm -hmm. extreme level of grooming. But then when we look at the women who followed him after his convictions, we would be leaning towards the SKG narrative. Or in the case of his girlfriend, like we talked about, Star, she used him in hopes to be able to claim his body and display it. That's according to some reports. His, her mother and herself have denied these reports. They were mm-hmm. engaged at that point, but Charles Manson died before they could get married. So it was really interesting. There <laughs> isn't too much on the male, the female killers scenario, as most of these are categorized. They would be women in their 30s to 40s, but... There are some cases. In in one of the cases for Manson's followers, Susan Atkins, she did receive a fair share of admirers and even married twice while she was in prison. One of the dudes, the first dude she married, was actually a dude who was been married 35 times, apparently. Wow. And they divorced because he was cheating on her with another woman in prison. So oh <laughs> I my guess gosh. he may be a true hybristophile, but I don't know. And there have been a couple of cases where sex was a motivator to get men to kill, but not necessarily the arousal factor of hybristophilia. So it's kind of hard to tell where they lie. 
Wow. Now, we did want to look at some individual cases and how far some of these women went, uh, knowing what these killers did. And a great example is Ted Bundy. He had fans upon fans upon fans to the point he had many relationships while he was in prison. He has dedicated vlogs and movies continuing to be made, including the Zac Efron film and more documentaries. He married Carol Ann Boone while in prison. She testified on his behalf and by a loophole in the county was legally recognized as his wife after she made the declaration in open court. She allegedly had a baby with Bundy as well, though she finally admitted to realizing he was a killer and was able to dissolve the marriage in 1986. Right. I think he was in jail, not in prison. I misquoted that. However, it was really interesting because the loophole was literally, if you just say it in court, they had to acknowledge it. So, wow. so they got married that, that way. That is an interesting loophole. <laughs> you get so, a notice in the mail like, you're married. What? Right. Um, <laughs> apparently, the daughter had visitation with him too. So I would be interested to see what happened in her life later on. But then there is also Richard Ramirez, the night stalker who actually got married while in prison as well to a magazine editor, Doreen Leroy, who had sent him 75 letters while he was in prison. She always maintained that he was innocent and she spoke of him about his love and how he was her buddy. And they remained married until he died. And Ramirez had gotten thousands of fan mails through his time in prison. When he was on his actual killing spree, victims often talked about his rotting teeth and unpleasant body odor, but apparently that didn't stop the women. It was reported that on the day of his arrest, a few women would climb on their cars as they realized he was going to be driven by as they were taking him to jail and started flashing wow. him as if he was a rock star. Yeah. Even killer and known liar Henry Lee Lucas had women writing in to the point a woman came out to the public as one of the, his original victims to try to clear his name. He had been accused of murdering his girlfriend, Becky Powell, which began his lying, confessing spree of all the murders around the world, stating that he killed hundreds of women all over, even at one point saying he might have murdered people in Japan. But when it finally came to light, he was lying, and he started worrying about getting the death penalty. A woman came out on national TV as Becky Powell, saying that she had ran away and was very much alive. After being told she would have to get on the stand to testify, it came out, she was also lying. She admitted to being in correspondence with Lucas and being fed information to be Becky so she could help Lucas. Oh, yeah. And it was kind of mentioned that even this dude who is not an attractive man, there was a lot of ailments, not the brightest guy ever. Like, literally, he said that he may have murdered someone in Japan. When they asked him how he got there, he said he drove there. Like, that's the level of intelligence. And he was not a good-looking dude. His teeth was also all rotted out. But he still had fans, and he partially lied because of that attention, and he loved it. And then we also have Chris Watt, who was a family annihilator and continues to have women defend and victim-blame his murdered wife. So Chris Watt's case is a bit different, as he was not necessarily a serial killer, but a family annihilator. And he, much like Bundy, was an attractive, a seemingly good family man. And many followers continue to state that he was framed, even though he's confessed repeatedly, by the way, repeatedly. Hmm. Uh, the twist to the story goes beyond just women finding him attractive and sending him hundreds of fan mail. But the fact that it becomes a narrative of victim blaming. Throughout social media, you can see many women coming to the defense of Chris's action blaming his wife. They accused her of being a bitch and perhaps even being abusive to him and maintained that he was innocent and only acting out of self-defense. He also has a different appeal as a man of contrition. So after stating he has found God and recognizes what he did is wrong, women begin seeing him as the reformed Christian and the compassion for him has become more evident with the women who continue to reach out to him and still are desiring to have a relationship with him. 
So, yeah. <laughs> Those are a few of them. And of yeah. course, uh, there are many more examples we can look at. Like, there definitely have been stories upon stories. But for now, we'll pause because it's a lot. <laughs> and as many as we see written for specific cases and specific criminals, there's not been a lot of real data, not a lot of real research for women who could be considered under one of the first mentioned types of obsession, I guess. But definitely a fascinating and, again, really disturbing topic. It has those moments of, like, you try to figure out the level of need and passion that drives them, whether it is it shock factor or is it because of their insecurity or do they truly believe that in their fantasy they can change this man So, or these mm-hmm. men in general. And we are very obviously talking more of the heteronormative uh, cis uh, look because that's kind of what we've seen the most of. Even with killers like Jeffrey Dahmer, Women were going after mm-hmm. them, even knowing that he was attracted to young men. Like it was a whole thing. John Wayne Gacy, same thing. So it was an interesting topic about who is made up of this fandom. Oh yeah, I mean, and that's that's another bigger topic, perhaps for another podcast. But it has been a topic of like heated debate about the way we report serial killers, and they do become these right. famous characters in our culture. And they are in our media. And there's just so much interest there. (laughs) But yeah, we'll pause here for now. (laughs) We hope that all of you listeners are doing well. We would love to hear from you. If you'd like to email us, our email is stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram at stuffmomneverToldyou. Thanks as always to our super producer, Christina. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff on Never Told You's production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 